Hello, Park City Gospel Church. On Sunday, our uh, power went out suddenly in the middle of the sermon, so we were unable to finish the recording. I uh, just wanted to um, record the sermon again for you from my office for those who are following along with the series. Uh, so uh, we're going to be uh, hearing from 1 Samuel 25 this morning. And our passage deals with an isolated event while David is on the run from Saul. We're stepping out of this main narrative, uh, which is mostly dealing with prophets, kings, leaders of God's people, the people whose choices affect the entire nation. But today, we encounter two people like us, a man and his wife, who aren't prophets or priests or kings. Uh, These are normal people who encounter God's anointed, who encounter David. And as we follow this story, we want to watch how these two people respond to the Messiah when they encounter him. Let's read 1 Samuel 25, verses 1 to 8. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David." Our chapter opens with the death of Samuel. In the big picture of this book, the main narrative, we see now that the last judge is gone. Samuel can no longer advise or direct God's people or give advice to the king or the man who will be king. The kings are the sole and final authority in Israel now. So more than ever, Israel needs a good king. So we're told that David is still in the wilderness. He's gone to Paran. And right at the beginning of this story, before we even meet them, our author introduces us to Nabal and his wife, Abigail. And our author does something extremely helpful for us here. He tells us right up front what we should expect from Nabal and Abigail. We're told that Abigail is discerning and beautiful, and then we are introduced to Nabal, whose name literally means fool. I don't know whether this was a common name at the time or not, or whether his mother was always trying to correct people's pronunciation. It's not pronounced fool. It's not pronounced Nabal. Our author says of Nabal that he was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. I'm not sure whether or not the clause, he was a Calebite, was considered sufficient explanation at the time for why he was a fool. I will leave that for you to go and ask our brother Caleb. So we have a man who we know is a fool and a woman we know is wise. Now we can watch their actions and say, what does a wise person do? Or what does a foolish person do? 
And throughout this message, I'm going to cite Proverbs to try and point out some of that wise and foolish behavior. But of course, the particular thing we want to see in this story is how does a fool respond to the Messiah? How does a wise person respond to the Messiah? Now, what we're actually meant to take from Nabal being a Calebite is that he is a man of wealth and status. Caleb, you'll remember, was the Israelite spy who, along with Joshua, uh, went into the land of Canaan and was faithful to trust God and encourage the people, go, take the land of Canaan, God has given it to you, even while the other spies were afraid of the, the Canaanites they had seen and warned the people against going into the land. So God blesses Caleb for being faithful, and Joshua himself rewards him with the land of Hebron. So now Nabal, his descendant, is likely enjoying both the prestige of the name of Caleb as well as some of the wealth that comes from that inheritance. We are told he is very rich. He has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So now David is hiding out near the place where Nabal's men are shearing their sheep. So, of course, a party of outlaws running through the wilderness would be expected to ambush and rob these men. But David's men not only dwell peacefully with them, but we will later hear that David protects them from the type of person that David is regularly accused of being. So, in light of this protection that he's offered, David then sends ten of his men to Nabal with a request. Could Nabal provide anything for David's men in the wilderness? And there are a few things worth noting here to consider the context of that request. First, David's reputation is clearly known throughout Israel. We've already heard that the people love David. They esteem him highly as a great deliverer who's slain tens of thousands of Israel's enemies. There also seems to be a general awareness that David is going to rule after Saul, that he's both qualified and that he is God's choice to take the throne. We also know that David himself in the wilderness has been receiving and protecting many people in distress and debt and depression. So David is not just making a request on his own behalf, but he's asking Nabal to partner with him as he cares for the outcasts and the needy of Israel. What's more, David comes to Nabal with his request on a feast day, a day of worship and celebration devoted to God, a time when men had likely gathered abundant feasts with which to celebrate. This is a little bit like the alms collectors who come to Scrooge on Christmas Eve, saying at this festive time of year, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. In his request, David calls himself Nabal's son. Desiring to enter into a relationship of covenant familiarity with Nabal. What an honor that this would be for Nabal. What rewards could it have meant for Nabal to be in this familial relationship, this father-son relationship with David after he was crowned king? So to review, the anointed Messiah, the man who has already worked so much deliverance for God's people, the one who will take the throne, he's been protecting Nabal's men, he comes with this request on behalf of the poor and needy. So we already know Nabal is a fool. And now we can ask, how does a fool respond to that request? Our first point this morning is this. The fool has a high view of himself and rejects the Messiah. Let's continue for Samuel 25 verses 9 to 13. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? 
Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about four hundred men went up after David, while two hundred remained with the baggage. Nabal could have just said no. Whether or not it would have been the wisest thing he could have done, it certainly would have been better for him simply to deny David's request. But we are told that Nabal is a fool. Proverbs says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Nabal feels a burden. He has to add many words to his rejection, words he would have done better to withhold. Now, of course, Nabal has no desire to share his wealth with anyone and would likely be offended if anyone asked him to give up what he thought was rightfully his. But he wants David to know that David's request in particular is not just wrong, but utterly offensive to Nabal. He wants to spend many words letting David feel his anger. Proverbs says a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So Nabal carelessly heaps up angry words for which he will later be held accountable to God. Nabal sees David's request as particularly impertinent. Now, if a noble person, a dignitary, someone who could reward Nabal with prestige and wealth needed something, Nabal might lend an ear. But even though David is renowned as a servant of God's people, even though he's expected to be king after Saul, at this moment, David is an oppressed man in exile. In this moment, he clearly has nothing Nabal wants. Nabal, a wealthy Calebite, sees it as beneath him to offer charity to a man in the wilderness who is only a son of Jesse. He refers to David as a servant on the run from his master. Of course, when Nabal says servants these days are breaking away from their masters, this is likely because he has a horrible relationship with his own servants. We see within his chapter that his servants certainly have a low view of him. But Nabal sees David as an insubordinate servant of Saul. That's who he wants David to know that he is. Nabal sides with the current king the one whose friendship would look more profitable to a man like Nabal, Saul, who can currently bestow wealth and titles and prestige. So it's Nabal's high view of himself and what he wants, his love of wealth, power, position, that leads him to not just see David's request as inconvenient, but repugnant. He will not condescend to help David. David's men report this response to David, and David is enraged. David, who has just spared Saul's life because he knows that he must leave vengeance to God. Now that same David wants to punish Nabal with his own hand because Nabal has just been so rude and insulting to him. This is another characteristic of a fool, that he draws other men, even wise men, into his folly. Either because those wise men want to act foolishly with him, or more likely because they rashly want to retaliate against his foolishness. Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Nabal's folly is stirring up David's anger, and it's going to draw even David into sin, except for the intervention of Abigail. Let's read verses 14 to 31. 
But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were good to us, and we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by day and by night. All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this, and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, and took two hundred loaves, and two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five says of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he's returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the lord lives... And as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. In Abigail's interactions with uh, Nabal's servant who comes to her, then with David, and later with Nabal, we will see, we see not only how she is a wise woman, but an exemplary wife. Abigail knows that Nabal's a fool. She acknowledges this. She's not naive to his wickedness. Still, she not only seeks the good of her household, but even, where she can, the good of Nabal himself. She takes responsibility for the home where Nabal's abdicated it. Proverbs says, A wise woman looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Abigail tells David to hold her rather than Nabal accountable for the insult that Nabal has committed against David. She's the one the servants go to to ask for help after Nabal rails at David's servants. She even tells David had she seen his servants come, things would have gone differently. So we see repeatedly through these interactions that Abigail is the one taking responsibility of the home. She is the one 
overseeing the home while Nabal has abdicated his responsibilities. Abigail also shows her wisdom in that she respects Nabal as a wife in any way that she can, but she will not allow him to make her complicit in his sin. Abigail's respect for her husband rests in her greater respect for God. She fears the Lord, and it is out of her fear of the Lord that she is a good wife to even such a ridiculous husband. And this is why as soon as Nabal's actions would draw Abigail and the rest of the household into sin, she immediately defers to God's authority. When she knows Nabal has sinned by refusing to provide for David, she goes to help David without speaking to or consulting Nabal. She does not allow Nabal to stop her. But this doesn't mean that Abigail's desire is to harm Nabal, to disrespect him, or be insubordinate. After she helps David, she immediately wants to go tell Nabal what she's done. She wants to be honest with him. She even hopes that her willingness to be faithful where Nabal has sinned will work for Nabal's good, sparing him of guilt in the eyes of David, which would otherwise have had serious consequences for Nabal himself and his household. This is a wonderful picture of a godly woman that we see in Abigail, who acts with great wisdom and righteousness in an extremely challenging situation. So we can see that Abigail is wise. Let's now focus on how she, as a wise person, responds to David's request. This response is clearly meant to be contrasted with how Nabal has just responded. While Nabal loved himself and rejected David, Abigail humbly offers him whatever she can give. And this is our second point. The wise has a humble view of herself and embraces the Messiah. While the fool has a high view of himself and rejects the Messiah, the wise has a humble view of herself and embraces the Messiah. While Nabal turned David away because he thought helping David was beneath him, Abigail immediately goes and brings the food and honors David's request. And her reasons are twofold. First, she wants to spare Nabal and the household from David's vengeance. And we, we also see that in doing so, she spares David from committing sin. So she's thinking prudently. She's thinking for the sake of others. But we see another reason. She also believes it is righteous to help David because of who David is. When Abigail sees David, she bows down and she acknowledges both his particular anointing and the good that he has done for God's people. She recognizes not only that David has been faithful in fighting God's battles and delivering God's people, but that he is also God's chosen ruler after Saul. Even though he's not yet on the throne, Abigail recognizes and honors David's anointing. And here we see a clear contrast between her and Nabal. While Nabal looks at David's current situation from a worldly perspective and calls the Messiah an impertinent servant of Saul, Abigail looks at David's character and anointing and calls herself a servant of David. She even entreats him to spare Nabal's household as a servant entreating a lord. Abigail recognizes that David has a future heritage. While Nabal is consumed with what he wants in the moment, Abigail acts out of a future hope. She says to David, And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Nabal rejected David for the sake of hoarding his present wealth, for the sake of his feasting. He wanted to eat and drink as much as he had available. Abigail, by giving up the food for David, actually pursues a greater treasure than Nabal. She seeks the favor of God's anointed king, 
She gives up what is temporary, what she can afford to lose, for a treasure that she could never gain on her own, a heritage of being remembered by the Messiah. Let's continue to read verses 32 to the end of the chapter. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left so much as one male to Nabal. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent to us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michael, his daughter David's wife, to Palte, the son of Laish, who was of Gilam. Abigail's entreaty to David has an amazing effect. She's not only spared the lives of Nabal and his men, but she has saved David from sin. Abigail's entreaty shows David he's in error, that he was breaking his own commitment to leave vengeance to God. He'd let Nabal draw him into Nabal's foolishness. And here we actually get a glimpse of David's wisdom. Because apart from our perfect Savior, every wise man in history shows his wisdom in his willingness to repent. Nabal, because he is a fool, will not take back what he has said. This is why his servants go to ask Abigail for help rather than trying to correct their master or change his mind. But David, who sinfully swore that every man in Nabal's home would be dead by morning, not only repents of his wrong commitment, but thanks God for sending Abigail to correct him. Friends, let us never be too proud, never be proud at all, of not having to repent or be sorry for our sin. Let us never see repentance as embarrassing or a sign of weakness. I have known men who would have been humiliated by apologizing, even to a Christian brother. They would have seen it as a strike against their reputation. But to God it is the greatest mark of wisdom. Just look at David. Watch how pleased he is that he's been corrected. He praises God that someone has spared him from sinning, that he has better recognized the will of God. Proverbs says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Because a wise man loves to grow in wisdom and righteousness. He is pleased to be turned away from sin and shown God's will. Proverbs says, reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. 
It is a sweet thing to be shown you are wrong. You are spared from sin and shown more of God's wonderful wisdom. Do not condemn yourself to a life of folly by taking pride in never being wrong or never repenting. David recognizes this correction from Abigail is a means of God's grace. He can both praise Abigail for her wisdom and recognize that ultimately it was God himself that corrected David. Proverbs says it's the Lord that reproves those he loves. So when your brother or sister in the church carefully and wisely corrects you, recognize that they might actually be the means by which God is graciously guarding you from your own sin by reproving you. To reject them if their accusation is just would be to reject God's means of your sanctification. Praise God that in the church we can encourage one another to repent and grow. So David relents of attacking Nabal. And because Abigail is righteous, she immediately returns to tell Nabal honestly what she's done. She comes home to find him holding a feast for himself. Our author tells us it is like the feast of a king. Nabal has just rejected God's anointing king, and now he's going to treat himself like one. He's delighting in overindulging in his own wealth after he's deprived those who need it. His excess in eating and drinking is clearly linked to his pride. He wants to eat like a king. He wants to be a king. He is king of his life. He rejects the lordship of God and the lordship of God's king. Proverbs links overindulgence to pride, saying it's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Being self-involved and proud leads both to wanting glory for ourselves and wanting to consume pleasure excessively, because in our pride, in our sense of our own glory, we comfort ourselves that we deserve to be overindulgent. So Nabal has indulged himself right out of his wits. He's incapacitated with drunken revelry, and Abigail must wait until morning to tell Nabal what has happened. As soon as morning comes and Nabal hears what has taken place, God himself works vengeance against Nabal. Nabal is struck dumb, and soon after he dies. God clearly demonstrates through this timing that Nabal is being punished for his wickedness. David himself recognizes this. He praises God again for sparing him from sinning, but then for working vengeance on Nabal with his own hand. As he says, the Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And then Abigail is immediately called to David. And we are clearly meant to contrast what Abigail receives from David and what Nabal has just received. Remember, Nabal rejected an offer to participate in a familial relationship with David, and then he was struck down. But Abigail, who honored David's office and helped him, now becomes David's wife. Remember, Abigail asked David that he would one day remember her. She asked as a servant entreating a lord to be kind to her on the day that he received his throne. And when she hears that he in fact wants to marry her, she again declares her unworthiness. She says she's only worthy to serve the servants of David. But of course, she will not reject his offer. If David, the future king, really wants to marry her, then she will joyfully rush to accept. So looking at the outcome of this story for both Nabal and Abigail, our third point this morning is this. The fool perishes, and the wise receives the reward of being united to the Messiah. In this quick series of events, God demonstrates both what becomes of those who, from their pride and worldly goods, reject his anointed, and what becomes of those who, in humility and righteousness, embrace him. As Proverbs says, the fool dies for lack of his own sense. His wicked rejection of the Messiah is punished by God. 
But the wise woman receives more than she could ever have imagined. Desiring only to be spared of David's wrath, what Abigail receives instead is to be united with him. By marrying David, Abigail is exchanging a life of worldly wealth, united with Nabal the fool, for a life of present poverty and future glory of being married to the Messiah. Nabal currently has estates and livestock. David is in exile. But Abigail still felt it would have been sweeter for her to serve the servants of David than to be mistress of all the estates of Nabal. She sees the greater joy and honor of belonging to David, even in the wilderness, than being the wealthy wife of Nabal. It is so much sweeter to belong to the Messiah, even if it means a life of persecution, than it is to be counted among the fools who reject him, even the greatest and wealthiest fool in the land. The wise would choose to be united with God's anointed even at the cost of all the pleasures of this world, rather than cling to the worldly goods today that they can get and reject the one who will one day rule over all God's people. Of course, we can see that this choice is put to us, just as it was put to Nabal and Abigail. David's descendant, Jesus Christ, reigns even now from heaven as king. But before he reigned, he himself walked in the wilderness, despised and rejected, being treated like a servant on the run. And in his exile, he drew the outcast to himself, offering deliverance from demonic oppression and illness, and then offering deliverance from sin and the curse of death itself by dying the death of an outcast criminal on the cross. Jesus' persecution came from men who were afraid to lose the goods of this world. Pharisees and priests afraid that Rome would take away their power and wealth if they sided with Jesus or even let him continue to preach. But God worked all this so that Christ could die, to bear God's wrath, to reconcile us to God, so that we who were bound up with this world, its treasures and follies, could die to that wickedness and be free to be married to Christ, united to the Messiah. Paul tells us that the institution of marriage itself, the marriage of David and Abigail, Any righteous marriage is meant to reveal to us the glory of Christ being united to his bride, which is the church. One day, the bride will enjoy the reign of her husband for all eternity. In his revelation, John is shown a great day, the marriage supper of the Lamb. On that day, the multitude cries out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. John says, The angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The people of God are being prepared even now as the bride of Christ. The saints being clothed in white linen of righteousness by the sanctification of the Holy Spirit are being prepared to be united to Jesus on his revealed throne in glory for all eternity. As Abigail joined herself to David in the wilderness, waiting for the day of his coronation, we follow our Messiah in our exile in this world, waiting for the day his throne is revealed, and we delight in the eternal glories of his reign forever. Until that day, we take up our cross and follow him in the wilderness of this world, away from the home he is preparing for us, 
We suffer now because he suffered for us. We trade the goods of this world. We give up the priorities that we once had, like Nabal, a love of wealth and pleasure. We reject those idols for the sake of Christ and accept whatever shame and even persecution comes from being united with him because we look forward to the day when we will certainly rejoice with him when he comes into his inheritance. If you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, if you are not yet a part of the church, the bride of Jesus, then you are on the same road as Nabal. It is the choice that we all made before we knew our Savior, to follow the pleasures of this world, to get what we can, to enjoy it as much as we can before God punishes us for ignoring him or even rejecting him as Nabal rejected David. But if, like Abigail, we see the Messiah for who he is, for what he has done, and even for what he will receive, if we see the gospel of Jesus, that he bore God's wrath for us and rose so that we could reign with him for all eternity, if we believe and trust that Messiah and that good news, then he saves us from sin and death and unites us to himself. And we will delight in that unity even as he reigns from his eternal throne. Do not scorn him by choosing this world and its pleasures like Nabal did. You will only receive the just punishment that Nabal received. Recognize him for who he is. Embrace him like Abigail embraced David. Humbly call on him to remember you in his glory like Abigail asked of David. And then Jesus will offer you so much more than you could ever have imagined, just as David did to Abigail. Friends, when we really start to see Jesus, his glory and grace, his messianic role, see it as it is, see him as he is, we will see how audacious it should be for us to expect anything from him. And we will also realize that we would trade anything in the world just to know a little of his favor. As David himself wrote in Psalm 84.10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Yet we are not just made servants and doorkeepers in his kingdom. We become united with him in covenant forever. He gives us more than we could ever fathom. Because Christ is a good husband, a perfect husband, who loves his bride and shares with her every good gift that is given to him. He took the wrath She deserved on the cross, so she, so we ourselves could share in the glories our husband, the king, deserves for all eternity. And he is a better Messiah than David, a better husband to his bride than David was. We get a sad final note at the end of our passage of the folly of David's culture to which even he succumbed. He took multiple wives, and we know that his lust for many women would eventually cause great harm to God's people. But Jesus, our perfect husband, is better than David. He loves his bride, the church, with perfect and everlasting fidelity. And so, brothers and sisters, following after our husband Jesus and the example of the wise woman Abigail, who chose to wander with David rather than feast with Nabal, let us cling to Christ even in the wilderness. It is that beautiful great irony that those who cling to their own glory like Nabal, who love their own glory, who reject the glory of God will lose the real glory Christ has to offer and lose even the pride and glory they clung to 
when they are punished by God. But those who see their own wickedness, how far they have fallen from anything glorious, who see that they deserve nothing but death, who see the worthiness and the glory of the Messiah so far beyond them, they are invited to share in his glory forever. Abigail married David in the wilderness and became a queen. We follow Christ in this world, and we go on to join him in his reign over all creation forever. Praise God for our sweet Messiah, the husband of his bride, the church, Jesus Christ.